Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. One of the great things about life is when you feel like you've learned something important and new. And today's one of those days for, for me, hopefully for you too. We're diving into the world of industrial IoT, very important area, very significant area. And um, we're going to be talking to the CEO of a company called Trump Tracking Technologies, GmbH. Ebhart Wald is the Managing Director and the Founder of this division of Trumpf, spelt with an F at the end. They are a very significant German industrial company, pioneered uh, all sorts of things, uh, numerical uh, uh, machines uh, to, to in manufacturing, um, makers of heavy-duty laser equipment that's used in semiconductors. And as a result of this incredible industrial powerhouse, they saw the need for real-time location systems. They dived into, into that um, and, given their perspective, saw some major gaps in terms of standards. And they filled them and created something called Omlocks, which we're going to be learning a lot about. And uh, this is something that uh, is very significant in industrial IoT. It's got uh, a lot of traction in Europe, but less visibility uh, over here in the States. So I think this is an important open standard that you need to know about if you're into um, asset tracking, indoor location, it has really broad application. Its sweet spot started off in ultra-wideband, but it encompasses other technologies like Bluetooth as well. So there's a lot that it's important to know about. And we've got the world's expert uh, on this uh, talking with us. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. The Mr. Beacon podcast is sponsored by Williot. Intelligence for everyday things, powered by IoT Pixels. Epsi, thanks so much for joining us on the show. I'm happy to be here and I'm very curious about your questions. <laughs> well, I'm curious about your answers. I uh, have to confess that the Mr. Beacon podcast has really been focused on supply chain, uh, retail IoT, uh, and, and, and maybe consumer IoT to a lesser extent. We haven't done industrial IoT 
it's justice. And I think we have a real opportunity talking to you to do that. So we're going to be talking about Industry 4.0, Industrial IoT. Um, uh, you, you have been uh, right at the center of a very interesting standard in this uh, area, an RTLS standard called OMLOX. So I, I'm looking forward to diving into that. But maybe um, before we go there, we should set the stage and explain a bit about the, the company that the division that you are CEO of uh, sits. Um, uh, who, um, so the company is called Trump, spelt with an F at the end. Um, what, uh, what, what is the uh, origin of the company? What does the broader company do? I, I've been watching videos last night and I had a, you know, I'm, I'm a geek. So I loved what I saw. Some of the devices, you're making lasers that cut through things, which is awesome. I'm thinking James Bond, uh, scenes from James Bond movies now. Uh, what does what does Trump do? Well, uh, I think the simplest way to approach Trump is to look at it as a high-tech company. And it has continuously changed um, over time. So um, if you look back, let's say, some decades, you would look as, at Trump as a company being just a technology leader in sheet metal manufacturing, with doing the nicest punching machines, but also with innovating laser-cutting machines, like you mentioned. Um, if you look at Trump nowadays, after well, uh, a continuous kind of innovation and new product launch, we are also number one in high-power lasers for any kind of crazy applications, whatever you can, can basically think of where you can really use high-power lasers. Uh, in fancy things like protection from, um, from lighting, for example, um, lightning, and uh, let's also do low-power applications like Vixels for... Uh, applications similar to face ID recognition and those kind of topics. So we went from a sheet metal machinery company to a company who had their own uh, semiconductor fabs uh, doing their own kind of laser products uh, directly from the wafer up to um, uh, dozens of kilowatt of laser power. And we also innovated in areas which were, uh, um, let's say, accepted or let's say expected to be totally impossible. Uh, so one example is nowadays everyone is talking about a shortage in um, semiconductors and the new fabs they are all produced based on EUV extreme ultraviolet lights in the uh, in the lithography system and there's only one company being able to supply the beam source for that uh, which is Trump. So um, Today, I would say, besides being number one in sheet metal machinery, we are also probably one of the number one in semiconductor manufacturing technologies. And um, in some areas, really the only choice um, which is there to supply those kind of machineries. And that's very important uh, if you approach Trump. So it's not like you can put us into, let's say, a corner and say, that's exactly what you do. We're always looking for new things. And we have... Um, Quite some other new kind of endeavors active, like um, um, we are a family-owned company, and the family says, okay, we want to be number one in quantum computing. And I know this sounds strange in, in your ears, like say where in US there are companies like Google and IBM fighting for it, and we are a small family-owned business. But we believe in that, so we invest in our own quantum computing technology, and we really do that. We have a startup, and it's uh, fully funded by the family money 
And the other things, and that's, that's what I do, is um, uh, changing the way how industrial IoT works from, let's say, a more proprietary closed system where you buy a monolithic solution to a, a standardized system which will allow a mix and match approach. And, um, and this is driven by the same uh, company, by the same family, uh, and it's the only thing driving that is the will, the very strong commitment for innovation. And you, you mentioned, you know, small family company relative to some of the uh, trillion dollar giants, but how big is Trump? So basically, um, we just, um, let's say, 4 billion revenue um, per year in euro. That's roughly the size. So um, I'm not allowed, will our fiscal year ended end of June, so I'm not allowed to tell you the numbers of the last fiscal year, which is just some weeks old. Um, so again, the order income has increased. So it's roughly 4 billion. Um, that's probably a good number. And and number of employees, how many people in the company? Let's put about 14,000. Substantial enterprise. And um, what? Uh, before we move on, I do want to get into the RTLS uh, IoT space, but just complete the picture a bit. Uh, talk a bit about some of the markets that you serve. Um, you know, the, the kind of companies that are buying your products. You talked about one, the semiconductor space. That was fascinating, but it's a lot bigger than that, isn't it? It's like your, anyway, I'll let you describe it. Yeah, so um, exactly one of the companies, uh, let's say one big customer of us is ASML. You know ASML, it's, it's one of the biggest um, equipment manufacturer for semiconductor um, fabs. And they buy the EU resource from us. It's one example. So that's one of our customers. And in, in this high technology area, we're the only one being able to supply this kind of uh, beam source. So in the sheet metal machinery, uh, we are supplying machinery, let's say, to any kind of chop shop or product shop globally. Uh, so it could be General Motors uh, or it could be just the uh, sheet metal chop shop just around the corner with five employees and they make nice products by using our punching machine. So this is far, let's say, there's a huge variety in this kind of uh, topics. We are also serving um, uh, different markets, uh, like um, we have um, low power lasers like Vixels, for example. Uh, they can be put into smartphone for, let's say, um, uh, small LIDAR scanners. Um, so uh, let's say a, a possible application could be like a face ID recognition just to give you an idea where also Trump technology uh, could be behind it. And this is just a small example of uh, what we are surfing. Yeah, I mean, so uh, Germany is synonymous with high quality, uh, very strong manufacturing. And it seems like Trump is right at the center of that. You're producing the equipment that allows that manufacturing to happen. And you know, one of the innovations I think that you uh, were on the forefront of was... Uh, the uh, uh, numerically controlled machines, you know, taking the, 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 the cutting of uh, and, and forming of things um, from something that was done by eye to actually programming it, which is, I mean, where would we be without that? That's amazing. Absolutely. It's, nowadays, it sounds like such a normal product, but at that time, it was uh, just a pure innovation uh, driven by us. And that's, it's uh, like always, if you look back at groundbreaking innovations, which happened 20 years ago, those sound like so normal today. So um, I also like often compare it with um, when later on we might talk about Omnox as a new standard for location. Um, then yes. if you just look back 20 years, 
um, you will see that at that time uh, Wi-Fi was something brand new and only known for some, let's say, freaks. And nowadays it's so common. And, and that's exactly, you know, when the innovation is real, it's just a very normal thing, exactly like you said, with a CNC laser cutting machine, it's just such a normal product. But it was a tremendously change in industry. And, and that's always what's, um, what's coming with real innovations. So tracking technologies, it doesn't take a genius to guess how when a, you know, one of the biggest, most powerful, influential, pioneering manufacturing firms might need to track assets, do real-time location. But tell us, uh, tell us about the division that you're CEO of this uh, subsidiary. So there's a nice story behind it. Um, basically, when we wanted to drive industrial IoT, the main goal was pure customer benefit driven. So we wanted our customers to get a more efficient production site, which needs a lot of transparency. We talk about the digital shadow. In order to generate a digital shadow, you need to know the status of everything inside your factory. And the most important thing you have to know is about anything which can move. If you don't know where those things are, you will never have a digital shadow. Very easy thing. So again, if you think about that, you will easily understand, okay, you need somehow a real-time location system. So this was, I don't know, roughly a decade ago um, when this was clear to us. And at that time, we just thought, okay, why not? That's, that's nice. This technology is already around. Uh, let's use it. We digged into this kind of topics and found a lot of companies already being active in this field. So one of it is, for example, Ubisense. Um, some others, which is well-known in the US, is Cipra. They have uh, UWB systems already around for quite some time. The problem is all those kind of products, they are fully proprietary. And as we looked for a solution for all of our customers, it was a clear no-go that you would take any kind of those proprietary solutions and bring this lock-in to your 25,000 customers. So um, it was just discussed internally, but we said, okay, we, we never did it and we will never um, build a lock-in for our customer to a supplier of us. And um, we were totally astonished at that time that there was no open system. Um, and that was basically when we said, okay, we have to build up an open standard. And I tried to approach all the players and I, I basically went to all of them. Um, uh, and you probably named them all whenever you think about who played a role in RTLS. Uh, I probably knocked at their door uh, quite years ago and told them, okay, couldn't you just um, agree on one common standard? And uh, if they would just have said, yes, it's a good idea, well, the story would have ended. Um, mm. But basically, they told us, um, no, um, we will not do it because we like that there's a, well, they didn't tell they like that there's a vendor login. They didn't <laughs> put it in these words. But at the end of the day, that was more or less what they said. It's in, they like this kind of business model. And um, we then um, looked up the numbers and we found that there are, at that time, there were more than 1,000 proprietary companies uh, building real-time location system based on UWB. Um, and then I went to them and said, look, it's kind of crazy. There are 1,000 of you out there. Uh, why do you think that you're the next Apple? It's impossible that there will be 1,000 next Apple. And then uh, all of the, them which I asked told me, you're right. Uh, the other 999, they will fail, but I will be the next Apple. 
Um, and at some point you give up uh, to trying to convince them uh, to agree on a standard. And then I went back to the family, uh, to the company owner, the family, and said, I don't know. it. It's, for me, it's a real surprise, but they all think they can do it in an proprietary way. And, and then the family said, okay, if it's like that, then we might just have, just to convince them, um, push the open standard and do the first implementation, uh, just as a demonstration. And that's basically how it all started. So um, there was, uh, at that time, not even the slightest idea of a business model for us behind it. The only, uh, the only reason for doing the first implementation of this open standard was to convince the existing players to say, look, it's there, um, do it. And uh, this was quite some uh, years ago, and, um, and then the standard was, was there, and then there happened something <laughs> which was not, let's say, foreseen by us. Um, we thought then that once the standard is there and people can see it, that, um, let's say, the existing player will basically join, and then we can retreat from this kind of topic and leave it to them, because this is their market, not ours. Um, and the good story is, yes, um, this basically happened. So all the big European companies, in the meantime, they, are, they joined Omlock. So Ubisense, Kinexon, Siemens, and you name them all. They are all members of Omlock. So that's quite nice. So and, and I don't know to what extent, but uh, we know that they are more or less developing now according to the standard when the, the products will come. Uh, I don't know. But then something, other, something else happened. Um, if you look at the business literature, you will find um, the five forces of Porter. And Porter always said there's a, let's say, um, the competition inside a market, but there can also be new entrants. And the surprising thing, well, later on, we, at the end, we, it was, it's not a real surprise, but the surprising thing for us was when the standard was there, there were a totally different uh, segment of companies became interested in this real-time mm. location technology. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I just name one example. It's uh, telecommunication providers. Um, what is their business model? Uh, basically, the business model of a company like AT&T and Verizon is um, they invest some billions, they build up wireless uh, communication networks, and they rent it to everyone on a monthly basis. That's what they do. Mm -hmm. Now, they never did it for location, but they, they couldn't do it because there was no standard. Now, there is a standard with Omlox, and, you know, we were not, <laughs> we were some kind of overwhelmed by their reaction, so they approached us and they told us, look, now there's a standard. Um, basically, we could just do the same thing. Instead of investing some money for a communication a wireless network, we can invest the money for a location network, because now there's a standard, and we can then, uh, again, rent it to anyone, and, you know, the, the, the end devices can, they can come from anywhere, from China or whatever. And they came to us and said, look, it looks like you did the first implementation. Do you want to serve us? And this was kind of, ooh, this was not foreseen. And, um, well, there was not only telecommunication companies. It was also, let's say, from existing builder in building infrastructure companies. So companies who already um, serve the building uh, business with their uh, technology infrastructure. So like the number one in lighting or let's say uh, really market leaders in Wi-Fi access points. So they said, why not including the standard in the Wi-Fi access point already, uh, which will make the overall total cost of ownership for the end customers dramatically cheaper. And um, now 
guess what? So um, I went back to, to the family and said, um, okay, officially the plan was that we just do it for demonstration and then we retreat. But now there, there are multi-billion companies knocking on our door and asking if we can help them now because there's a standard uh, to, to join this market. What should we do? And then this was basically the starting of the company and, and uh, Peter Leibinger just said, okay, well, uh, if they take this for serious, okay, let's make a business out of it. Are you up to it? And um, I thought about it and I said, okay, yes, let's do it. And that's how this um, company uh, started. So it's like now the existing player in RTLS, they are still there and they start now to develop um, um, and will come out with Omlox compliant products. I don't know, sometime soon or later. And there were also new entrants uh, and they are, some of them are supported by us. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, I'm kind of sure now that this will bring down the costs of uh, indoor location dramatically. Uh, uh, fascinating, fascinating uh, story. And it's so funny that uh, the initial reaction was no. Uh, and for very human reasons, we all think we're destined for great things and we're going to be the winner. But you know, you look at other industries, you know, where would the internet be without standards? You know, if we didn't have uh, exactly. HTTP and that sort of thing, where would the database industry be without the SQL standard? And uh, I think, you know, anyone that's looking strategically at a market and they recognize that they want it to take off, then they should acknowledge that standards have a, uh, a role. And you know, if you can compete, uh, uh, there's the strategies for working with standards. You can still add value. So I'm glad that you persisted. So what is the business model of the uh, tracking technologies, uh, Trump tracking technologies, GmbH, the, the, uh, the company that you founded? So basically, the business model is, is very simple. Um, so we support the companies, like I mentioned, um, like, for example, Deutsche Telekom, as a telecommunication provider, I'm allowed to, to name them. I'm not allowed to name yes, the other companies. T-Mobile and uh, sort of T-Systems. and uh, yes. Exactly. Um, so those are customers of, of us. And then again, like lighting companies or uh, Wi-Fi access point uh, companies, they are customers of us and we uh, support them in whatever they need. So it, it's, you know... As Omlox is an open standard, anyone can build Omlox products. So that's very clear. No need to get a support from us. But it's like um, a very normal thing these days that everyone understood I cannot do everything. So if you want to use a cloud service, you will basically rely on AWS or Azure or whatever you do. And then you get some other stacks from other companies because it's everything is so complicated. You can't do everything. And now um, our Customers, uh, they say, okay, we do want to join this um, this location market. They are now based on the standard, and it's very different what they take from us. So s some of them they just want um, our be consulted. Some others they want to license um, some kind of software. Some others they say, okay, can you give us some blueprints for some kind of hardware? Um, so we do everything, which helps also um, to to get it done faster and which is, let's say, in the benefit of the standard. So it's not like this is exactly what you have to take from us. Um, we support those new entrants to get them a head start with their Omlox offerings, whatever they need. Okay. That's basically what we do. So consulting, uh, blueprints, 
blueprints for hardware and software. So how does your software fit relative to um, you know the players like Ubisense? So we had Ubisense's CTO on the podcast uh, a few months ago. Um, are you competing with them or how does that uh, work? Uh, so basically, um, uh, Omlox itself, by itself, it's a pure standard. So it's nothing else. There's no implementation. It's just a standard, and it's owned by a non-profit organization. And um, Ubisense also, in the meantime, is, is a member of this organization. So they are also owning part of the standard, if you put it like that way. By the way, mm -hmm. uh, there are 1,700 members. And um, uh, looking at, at this, um, anyone can do Omlox, and I'm kind of sure also at some point you will find um, Omlox products from Ubisense. Um, and it's always like that if you have a standard. Um, at the end of the day, a Wi-Fi product uh, from, let's say, Cisco will look similar to a certain extent like from HP Aruba or from um, Ubiquiti. Um, it's 100% identical for interoperability. So in this way, you will then be able to to take a tech from company A and use it with the infrastructure from company B, just like with Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. That's a very normal thing. Um, so in this way, it could be that Ubisense is developing the same thing based on the standard. But um, again, the difference is in the implementation. So if you look at Wi-Fi access points, uh, you will find a lot of arguments why, for example, Cisco will claim that their Wi-Fi access points are better than the ones from HP Aruba. And, um, mm -hmm. and vice versa. It's very normal. And it's allowed. So they can even have different data rates. So, so there's still a lot of freedom. The only thing which is 100% defined is interoperability. So they all will work together with your Apple phone or with your Samsung phone or whatever kind of mobile device you have, your, your Dell computer. And in, in the same way, this will then happen in the standard. So I, I assume that at some point, uh, Ubisense will sell Omlox compliant products and so will Siemens do and um, and also our customers do. And what we basically do, we help the new entrants to get into this market. That's one thing. Um, uh, I'm not sure how far, let's say, Ubisense or Siemens is with the Omlox standard. They could probably do the same. They could also help, let's say, um, Deutsche Telekom to do that. Um, <coughs> but as, as we kind of, we were the the driving force behind it, uh, there's one thing which is really appreciated by our customers is because we started at a point where the others were still reluctant uh, for the standard, we have a time advantage. And that's basically mm. what is our main difference uh, so far. Okay. So you are competing with other members. Um, um, and you, so t tell us a bit more about your offering, uh, and then I will. Uh, there's lots of questions I have about the standard, but uh, uh, let's uh, go into that. So, what uh, what are the software products that you sell? And do you, do you sell hardware as well? Are you selling ultra wideband uh, um, uh, re uh, transmitters, receivers, uh, uh, tags, uh, locators? So. Um it's also a funny thing. It's it's again like when you build up a business plan, what you intend to do, and finally what you find yourself, <laughs> what you do at the end. Um, so with the business plan, uh, basically the idea was that the knowledge is in consulting and the knowledge is basically in blueprints and it's in software, like firmware, because that's basically when you have the implementation of the standard, it's basically you can transfer it with a piece of software or firmware. 
And we thought that's basically the core of it, which will um, help the companies to get up to speed. And we were not thinking really about um, supplying hardware at that point. Again, um, it evolved differently. And this is due to the supply shortage. Because at that time, let's say those companies, they ask us, okay, that's very nice that you help us getting to speed here uh, with the software, but could you also supply the hardware? And, um, you know, I'm personally convinced the only reason why they asked for the hardware is because nobody loves to do soft uh, hardware at the moment because it's just a mess with those supply uh, chain shortages. So um, although we never intended to become a hardware seller, we basically did it. Um, and we do it. Um, and that's another thing. So um, it, it's really uh, sometimes surprising how y your business plan evolves over time. Um, and the customer can get hardware uh, elements from us. They can get firmware. They can get software. They can get uh, consulting. Um, and it depends what they like. And if they like to do the software by themselves, they can do the software by themselves. If they like to do the hardware by themselves, they can do the hardware by themselves. As I said, again, it's a standard. Um, so whenever they think they can do it by themselves, they can do it by themselves. There's uh, nothing which will hinder them to do it. Very good. And 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 the the, the tags that you sell are they ultra wideband uh, tags? Uh, they are the tags which we sell. They are Omlox compliant. So look at it like a Bluetooth. Uh, it's also a standard, and the same is like with Omlox. It's a standard, so they are Omlox compliant. Now, if you dig a little bit deeper and look into the uh, Omlox A interface standard, you will find that uh, there. Are two kind of wireless technologies inside the specification. Uh, one is UWB, um, and it's based on the same IEEE specification uh, like used in, uh, in the smartphone industry. It's IEEE 802.15.4c. And um, the other one is basically, um, uh, let's say, in-band communication in 2.4 gigahertz um, uh, space. And that's how OMLOX is defined as an air interface. Uh, it allows you for identification of an object, a location of an object, and you have a small, very low bandwidth communication channel also in the 2.4 gigahertz area. So um, with this infrastructure of Omlox inside, uh, Omlox will by no means uh, compete with Wi-Fi. You know, this is uh, a total different in kind of communications. But you can also have a, a extremely low bandwidth, let's say one bit or several bits uh, of uh, information exchange between your thousands of mobile devices, which also comes with the standard. So um, technology-wise, um, it's UWB and let's say something like ZigBee um, inside the standard. Okay. So um, if I, I have a company that makes Bluetooth uh, tags or uh, Bluetooth locator hubs that read the tags, that's Omlox is not something that I can conform to. This is really a standard for companies that have uh, UWB, ultra-wideband uh, um, RTLS systems. No, and I thought about that. It's, it's always um, the way how you approach Omlox first. Um, there, there are, let's say, two faces to the coin here also with Omlox. Mm -hmm. um, again, as I said, Omlox always was driven by the customer benefit. So we looked at the mess they had in the factory with all the, let's say, the isolated location technology and uh, the missing standard. And we said, okay, we want to clean this mess so that any kind of factory owner can just do a simple mix and match. And it's always was defined for the 
pure benefit of the factory owner. So there was not a, at that time not this business model behind of it with of what we do. Um, mm -hmm. And again, we are only one of 1,700 members of Omlox. And um, mm -hmm. um, Omlox is definitely also very helpful if you are a Bluetooth location technology provider. Why is it that? Um, if you look at a factory owner point of view, you will see that if you do want to care about location, you will have different kind of location sources. And yes, there's some reasons why you might want to uh, use a Bluetooth location uh, sources, or you might want to use a GPS uh, location sources outdoors, or you would like to use um, 5G location data. And mm -hmm. all this, this does make sense, and we fully understand it. And that's why um, inside the standard, we also defined um, a middle layer, which we call Omlox Hub, in which all this location data from different sources is transformed into one coordinate system uh, with uh, defined behavior and then transmitted via a uh, standardized um, JSON-REST API uh, to the application area. And in this way, it allows that any kind of location-based application is fully technology agnostic and vendor independent. So this will also totally transform, let's say, the location a based app um, marketplace. You can build up a marketplace like, uh, let's say, a Google Play Store now for location-based apps based on that. And um, any kind of Bluetooth location provider can just plug into this Omlox hub and um, any kind of app-consuming data is fully independent of where it's coming from. And now you could say why you still need um, the air interface. The, the point is, when you look at what you want to do in this kind of factory, you would now say, okay, now I have different location technologies and I have um, one coordinate system, but you still um, have a, a problem if you do want to bring in a new device. So there's a need to have inside your factory this one coordinate system physically persistent in your room. And that's basically what's defined with the Omlox Air interface. So let's put it that way. Um, if you get a full Omlox stack, you can add in GPS, 5G, Bluetooth, uh, by the way, also um, uh, maps which come out of an HEV with their own SLAM. They can all put into that and transform it into one coordinate system. And But this one coordinate system, which is valid for your factory, is also persistent in your room, which means at some point you can buy a power tool for fastening a bolt, and inside a power pool, Omlox is already included, just like Wi-Fi is included in your Apple smartphone. And um, there will be no integration effort and you will not need any kind of technicians because it will automatically show up uh, on the Omlox hub um, in the next second. And any kind of app can consume it and automatically document what you do with this device. And there's zero integration effort. And in order to do that, you do need um, a persistent coordinate system uh, standardized. And that's why we define the Omlox A interface. Excellent. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So I love that vision of being buying a power tool, uh, and I'm sure factory owners love the idea, or, or, or construction sites. I imagine this would be re- very relevant for construction sites where you are keeping track of these assets. Um, so the hub um, uh, is agnostic of the, um, the, you know, the radio technologies that uh, are used. Um, but it seems like in the case of UWB, there's more, there's more, uh, there's more specifications. So you have more depth for the UWB arm uh, than, than maybe the, for uh, um, for, uh, say, a Bluetooth tag vendor? And there's a reason for that. A Bluetooth is already a standardized interface. So that's fully standardized. Yes. You have interoperability in Bluetooth. That's fine. I, and I don't see why we should invest any second in that. Yes. Uh, this was not existent before in UWB. That's yes. one thing. The other thing is, there's a reason why companies like Apple choose to include UWB in their smartphone, although Bluetooth was already there. Um, and this is not because you can't do location with Bluetooth. It's just in critical situation, like especially in non-line of sight conditions, uh, UD- UWB is, and you can prove this physically, uh, far more stable. Um, and that's why UWB shows up in all the Apple products. And this is why UWB shows up in, in now in cars and in a lot of other things. And that's why when we thought about what could be the right technology, inside a factory to make the coordinate system persistent, you cannot rely on a, on a line of sight technology. You have to take the most robust one. And th- the funny thing is, at that time, you know, we had a group of engineers looking for the most reliable technology for non-line of sight conditions inside an industrial space. And now we know that at the same time, Apple was having a, the same kind of question for a consumer. And both teams ended up with the same answer. Uh, unfortunately, Tim Cook did not tell me about that. If not, we could have already streamlined uh, the physical level before, but uh, he, he did not inform me, so, which was a little bit of pity. But um, but that's basically how, what it was. So it was a similar question: how what is the most reliable and robust technology uh, in in critical conditions? And it's it's easy. Any kind of technology group, after investigating this topic, will come up with the answer. It, will be UWB, and that's why it's in the Apple smartphone, and that's why it's in the Omlock standard. And um, now, if UWB at that time would have already been standardized, we would again just said used this one, but there was no air interface standard at that time. That's why we said, okay, then that's the other thing we have to do. Um, let's solve it, because that was our task. We, we want to clean up this mess. Okay, so um, uh, I, I spent a lot of time talking to the Bluetooth uh, world, and so I, 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 I've always admired ultra wideband, and I think it has uh, it's it's obviously flourishing. Um, I kind of personally believe that this is probably not going to be. There's no one perfect technology for every right. uh, thing, and so it's it's important to have yes. a, a toolkit. And uh, you know, full disclosure, I work for a Bluetooth uh, tag company. Uh, so how would uh, how would I, as a Bluetooth tag vendor, 
support this standard. I, you know, believe in the philosophy uh, and I kind of understand um, that, you know, uh, at a transport level, then I can use the, the Bluetooth standard and that still allows me to talk to this uh, Omlocks hub. How does, uh, how would, a, you know, an Estimote or a Contact IO or uh, a company uh, or even a Williot, um, uh, how would we support the Omlocks standard if we wanted to join in? It's, it's extremely easy. Um, the API is described, how this will be integrated into the Omlocks hub. And uh, mm -hmm. you just fulfill the API. Um, at the moment, um, this is not fully done. There will be an, a certification for this interface, so where you then can also apply to get a Omlox cert certificate for this um, interface, so that the customer is convinced. Okay, if I buy this product, I don't need to uh, to, to fuss about it and, and have a lot of mm -hmm. uh, work. I can just plug it in and it will run. And, and that's the simplest way. And then you can plug in uh, your Bluetooth location service easily. And I, I fully agree, mm -hmm. again, uh, that it's not like one technology will do it all. Um, it will not be that mm -hmm. way. There will also be room for RFID mm -hmm. and, and other things. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And th that's the nice thing about the Omlox Hub. Um, no matter where the, the information is coming from, um, it will, let's say, track one trackable as an object. And you can add to one trackable a different um, location technologies. So you could put the Omlox Air tag on it, you could put um, the Williot Bluetooth on it, and you could put a GPS um, receiver on it, and you could put all of them on, the, on it, and uh, they will then be combined in the Omlox Hub. It's the same object with the same trackable ID, and uh, any application on top of the Omlox Hub um, will not know that, let's say, in this second, uh, the location data comes from GPS, in the other second it's come from Bluetooth, and now it's in another place, it comes from Omlox. It, it doesn't have to care about it. It will, no matter where you are, it will always get the best kind of location information. And this makes it so simple because you get it totally mm -hmm. seamless. That's interesting. So how far does the standard go? What, what are the, t tell us a bit more about the hub interface. So presumably, is it like an X, Y, and Z location? How do you, or is it more logical? Uh, it's in the, uh, um, you know, it's in this uh, room, in this bin. Uh, how do you uh, transmit this location information? How do you define uh, it? Um, again, we're fully driven by the customer benefit. So in, in total, uh, we now collected close to 250 different use cases. And we, we mm -hmm. looked how in, we can fulfill all of them. Um, and then we understood that, for example, what does the hub have to do? So one thing he has to do is basically transform it into one coordinate system. We also understood that to get really globally seamless tracking, you also have to transform it into WGS84, so into uh, longitude, latitude. And that's also something which is in the standard. And other things we understood is that um, you distinguish, as I mentioned, between uh, trackable and provider uh, zones. And the next thing which um, we found by looking at all the use cases is that um, we have to include um, an event management for geofences into this hub area mm -hmm. for the simple reason mm -hmm. that um, for a lot of topics, uh, um, different kind of applications will act on the same event, like if you enter a geofence. Like a geofence mm -hmm. could, for example, um, give you uh, a trigger for booking it could also give you a trigger for starting a machine. 
it could um, give a data flow information for storing something, and it could be the same geofence event. And that's why we said, okay, then this geofence event has to be inside the Omlogs hub so that the um, applications of, of on top of it, they can just consume it and they will get the same trigger for the same geofence. And by the way, this geofence is independent of the zones. So you can build a geofence, and a part of the geofence, it could happen that uh, you get a trigger by GPS on the other side, uh, by the Omlox core zone on the other side by Bluetooth. It, it's always just, uh, let's say, a global geofence. That's it. It's f uh, mm. also this uh, geofence and the event is totally technology agnostic. And um, and this is basically then what uh, the Omlox hub is doing. So um, we designed it in a way that really the application level is above and that everything you need in between, which is one coordinate system, longitude, latitude, um, uh, common uh, event handling is done in this layer. And anyone can build this Omlox Hub, by the way. There are already different kind of companies supplying mm -hmm. it. Interesting. Um, okay, I think I understand that. So um, I, I can see how that would be very valuable for assets, nuts, bolts, screws, components, um, uh, machines. What about uh, perishable products, um, medicine and food? Um, do you have a way of um, uh, sharing, you know, the condition, the temperature, uh, that sort of sensing information, as well as the coordinates? Uh, is that part of the standard yet? Yeah. That's a nice question. Uh, again, um, and, uh, as, as I mentioned, uh, Omlox is a community. So we have working groups and companies meet ah. and they discuss the use cases. Um, and for sure, at some point, let's put it that way, you define this air interface and you say this is pure location and then there will be some company saying, look, all I want is that in this tag, I want to switch on a light. When someone is searching for it, it's only a light, so this is not really communication, mm -hmm. it's just a one-bit information. So you say, okay, um, yes, it makes sense. So you d discuss about it and then there's someone else saying, look, I would like to do a power tool and all I want to know is when the power pool is on. And this is only a one-bit information. So it, it's not really communication. And that if, at the end of the day, you discover that you have an, an uplink uh, data communication and a downlink data communication. You have a bidirectional data communication. It's yes, only low bandwidth, but it's basically there. Um, because we, we did not close the door totally. If you don't close it totally, <laughs> it's partly open by definition. And... Um, and it's like that because, and we had a lot of discussion in the working groups. So um, basically, this kind of information is uh, tunneled in the Omlox hub and in the Omlox air interface. And you can transfer extremely low bandwidth tunnel data. Now, there will be probably fairly enough a question for what is the bandwidth. And here at the moment, we are really struggling with the value what we put uh, in the specification. So if you would come up with this kind of question, the answer would be, this is exactly under discussion now in the working groups. Mm, very interesting. So, I mean, you could go from that. I can see you could end up segueing into electronic shelf labels where there's a real you know, flow of data and you want to know where the shelf labels are, but uh, where does the standard begin and end and how do you accommodate other standards? I guess standards are never done, are they? And it sounds like, uh, you know, if I look at one of the most successful standards, Bluetooth, then... Uh, they have a myriad of working groups and uh, 
and, and service. Um, exactly. Uh, so uh, can you speak briefly about the working group structure? How many working groups are there? What are the things that you're working on? Okay, so um, uh, if we look, let's say, um, from the workflow, um, then I'm head of the working group use case, which is basically where everything starts. So we're collecting all these kind of use cases and we go out to the customers, we get in discussions and we describe it in the standardized way. Uh, what does the customer want to do? And then we structure them and build clusters and do it like that. We have different target markets here in use case, like um, industry, warehousing, um, healthcare, retail, uh, and so on. And we collect them and cluster them in the different kind of target markets. Then we check what is needed in order to fulfill uh, this kind of use cases, and we hand then these high-level requirements over to two different working groups. One is the working group um, Omlocks Hub, which is defining this um, API and this uh, Omlocks Hub behavior according to our specification derived from the use cases. And the other one is the working group uh, Omlocks Core Zone, which is uh, uh, de defining the specification for the air interface. Um, for the persistent uh, coordinate system inside the room. And everything is driven by these use cases. And that um, if at some point you will have time to read the specification, you will see that it's uh, probably more complicated than you would expect it to be. But it's due to the fact that um, this is a multi-purpose infrastructure and you have uh, dozens and hundreds of companies bringing in their requirements. Mm. It, at the end, it, it is not that simple as you might think it could be, uh, because, um, you know, one for location, for example, the one use case says I want to locate something very accurately, and then you have to define a mode which is doing this on the server. Another says, yes, I want to locate on the server where the mobile devices, but I, I want to do it extremely energy efficient, even if it's not that accurate. Okay, so it's another location um, uh, standard in the same infrastructure. And then the HEV comes or the drone comes and says, I want to do a self-location. Um, and I, I want to get it at a fixed update rate because I want to do anti-collision um, and there must be no load in the system. So you end up, okay, this is now then, you can call it downlink to the other direction. And then someone will say, yes, it's a good idea, but I want to do it fully anonymous. And um, so that no one even knows that I do it. And then the next one says, okay, anonymous is fine, but you have to control it and, and so on, you know. Um, that's exactly how those discussions goes on. And so far for the end of phase, um, really, it works and it's all uh, specified. All those modes are in parallel, um, which you can easily imagine that the system is, is not extremely simple. Um, <coughs> but it's fully multi-purpose uh, capable. Yeah. And how? Uh, where is the standard in terms of its uh, progress and maturity? How long has uh, Omlocks been around for... Um, um, Give us a sense of that. Yeah, it's, it's a nice question. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier that um, uh, we were defining this standard in parallel where some teams at Apple were defining their air tags and their kind of location technology. And as I said, again, unfortunately, Tim Cook never told me about it. And this is really, uh, this has an effect on the timeline mm -hmm. because basically we were ready with our specification, everything done on UWB. And at that time, Apple came out with their products. And then we had a discussion inside the community with all the members because we, we understood Apple is a game changer. Um, we thought, you know, we're the only one 
we define the only global standard for UWB, but you cannot neglect if Apple is there. Mm. Um, and then we, we understood that Apple is defining their own proprietary products, and later on, uh, based on the, what Apple is doing, the complete global industry met, and they were defining the physical layer in IEEE standard, IEEE 802.15.4c. Uh, as this happened after Apple did his market entry, and as Tim Cook, as I said, never told me about his activities, the first Omlog standard was defined independently of this IEEE standard. We, uh, we could not be aware of that. Which means um, we then had an, uh, a member voting and the member said, okay, um, by no means um, Apple and Samsung will follow what we define in industry. Um, if we want to get a cost down and use the same chipset, we have to uh, follow their kind of chipset definition. Um, and this means that um, the answer is Omlox is already there. You can buy it, no problem. Um, on the Omlox hub side, um, it's a continuous evolution. It's totally nice, no problem. On the air interface, there is uh, one step where there's some kind of a disruption. So there's Omlox Corson version 1, which was defined before this IEEE thing after Apple happened. And there's now the Omlox Corson version 2, which is on the physical layer, fully um, uh, compatible on the chipset side, like with Apple and Samsung and all the other, uh, the consumer devices, so in order to bring the costs down. For sure, by definition, if you do something like that, uh, the compatibility between these two levels are not there. Mm -hmm. By definition, because we had to do a jump, you know, on, on what Apple defined. Mm -hmm. um, so this is something you normally would never do if you have a standard, you would always say, I have an evolution with a, a, an upside um, and downlink uh, um, um, uh, compatibility. But um, here we said, okay, we're still early enough and the penetration rate is still not that high, so we switch uh, to the new physical layer and go to Omlox version 2. And, um, and that's why the situation today is like, okay, Omlox 1 is there, um, but every company... Um, they develop their products now in Omlox version 2. And as Omlox version 2 is, um, is, it is there, it is specified, but it took some time, you know, after we understood what Apple and Samsung is doing. Mm -hmm. um, we expect that the Omlox version 2 products, and they will be the products which uh, are, will then be there for the mass market, and they will most likely emerge in volume uh, in 2023. And I assume uh, Apple is not a member of Omlox, but it sounds like you've made Omlox to, um, you know, with an eye to um, uh, aligning with the de facto standards that they ended up driving. Is that correct or not? This is this is correct. Um, at the time, in in the meantime, it looks like that. That um, if you look at the global picture, there are some associations and some topics uh, where all the players meet. Um, so Omlox is representing the UWB um, uh, technology in the industry. And um, so, for example, these times everyone knows each other. So still, if Apple will do something new, t Tim Cook will not inform me, that's for sure. But now at least we're we in a way that if you look at what's going on in IEEE, so people from Omlox meet with people from Apple and, you know, other associations, like, for example, a, a car connectivity consortium. Mm -hmm. So you might be aware that, let's say, if you buy a BMW these days, uh, you don't have to get a physical key anymore. 
you can get use your Apple um, mm -hmm. smartphone mm -hmm. as uh, as a key, and in order to prevent a, a man in the middle attack, uh, this is protected by UWB, mm -hmm. which means there's also let's say a standard which has to be defined for the car to connect the car with the smartphone. This is the Car Connectivity Consortium, another association. And they also define uh, interoperability and UWB on the, on the same lower level. So let's put it that way. Uh, these days we have the big associations like like Omlock, CCC, and there's basically FIRA left, and then there's Apple, and they meet now in the IEEE, or let's say if you have regulation topics like FCC and those kind of, where we now join forces and everyone knows each other and things are uh, defined and now driven uh, in a, under mutual agreement. How many years has Omlox been going? So the start was, um, it's now six and a half years ago. Omlox went public um, mid of 2020. Um, so uh, the working took place on a different name. And um, once everything was proven and the first products were ready, we, we went public in, in mid 2020. Cool. And 1,700 members is a good, uh, that's a great base of, uh, of um, participants. Um, and I'm assuming that includes manufacturers as well as potential uh, users of the technology um, as well. So I have to be, uh, I would like to be more precise on this number. So um, Omlox is part of a non-profit organization. Um, and there are uh, four committee streams in this non-profit organization. Um, one is Profibus, Profinet, IOLink, and Omlox. And they are all handled by the same organization. And this organization does have in total 1,700 members, and they all own all those standards together. So if you're a member of this organization, you're partly of an owner of Omlox and of Profibus and of Profinet, all of it, because it's one organization. Um, so. The companies, if not, we would never be able to define any kind of upgrade of the standard if you would have to discuss everything with 1,700. Um, so let's say uh, the one actively in all the working groups, it's like always in the world. At the end of the day, you, you end up with some dozens of companies who finally drive it and some other hundreds who use it and consume it. Yeah. Um, and that's basically it. No, that makes sense. So it's like Bluetooth has... 30,000 members, but uh, they're not defining the standard. They're just uh, exactly. adopting it. So do you uh, have um, a certification process? So, uh, you know, Williot decides it's going to um, uh, comply to the Omlox standard. Uh, we join, we download the specs, we start to change our cloud service so that we can return these coordinates. Is there an audit process or is it self-certification? How does that work? Yes, and that reminds me that uh, unfortunately I did not finish to answer your last question about the working group. So mm -hmm. um, as we said, we have the working group use case, we have the working group core zone, we have the working group hub, and we also have the working group testing. Ah. And um, the working group testing is defining uh, this kind of testing process and certification process. They are not done with all this kind of certificates at the moment. So at the moment, um, if like Williot wants to get a certificate for um, let's say connecting to the Omlox hub, the answer would be um, it's in progress um, and the way this is handled is that an external company in an IFQ was asked so everyone could apply to write this test suite for the mm -hmm. certification process and um, the bit was done and the company is selected and, but the development is not done so the software is not yet there. 
And once the software is there, uh, you can check after you developed it according to the standard and do this certification test with this uh, software. And this is headed by the Omlox Working Group Testing. And then there's the last working group, which is always needed, which is the working group marketing. And they do basically do the communication. Um, and so presumably, so one of the questions that I uh, I think everyone would want to know is, you know, how many uh, products are there that conform to the standard? Um, and uh, it's early days uh, with regards to, to uh, standards, but I'm assuming that test uh, process needs to be um, completed in order for you to be able to say, oh, I've got, uh, you know, a thousand uh, different products in these different categories that, are, that, that conform to the standard. The, the real problem about that is, and I'm sure you're aware of that, that by uh, competition laws, it's always strictly forbidden in this kind of standardization um, meetings to exchange any information about roadmaps, about price, pricing. It, yeah. it's, uh, there are really high, f high uh, fines on that, so you really don't do it. Which means um, um, officially nobody is allowed to know what the others are doing, which is also the case. Um, so to be very clear, like um, uh, some week, two weeks ago, there was, no, three weeks ago, there was Hannover Fair and they learned, ah, okay, uh, POSIX is having this new kind of Omlox product. Then um, some other weeks ago, there was um, a conference in, in Denmark, Denmark and then an, an, a regional Siemens employee on the conference told, yes, we will come out with our Omlox products next year. So this is how I also officially collected. It's, it's you know, offer you are in the working groups, you will, you're not allowed to and you never um, communicate it in there. Mm -hmm. So it's just like picking up on conferences where you understand, ah, they do it, they do it. Um, so the rest is guesswork. Yeah. Um, and, and again, um, on all the critical elements, what I see is, uh, and that's the good thing, we have on every element, no matter if you're on, on the uh, chip level, if you're on the module level, if you're on the hub level, we always have uh, second sources. I think that's the, the good and very important thing. Um, and again, I would expect that um, the variety of products being offered, um, I think the big um, amount will start in 2023. Excellent. So, Epse, um, you are leading a very interesting division within a very large company with a lot of history. How did you get to your role? Well, basically, it's because of um, I'm convinced of what I do. So, it's uh, uh, I always liked to do what uh, I love and what I do and what I feel is right to do. So, um, I was never driven by money or career. And when Industry 4.0 came out and it started in Europe, uh, at some point, I was totally convinced that the only way to make this real and make it happen is by uh, to base it on open standards. And that when I start pushing open standards, and this was basically supported um, by our owner of the company of Trump, because he understood that we need those kind of open standards. And, well, I could take a detail, but I don't want to do it directly at the first question, but long story short, at some point we understood in order to get this open standard for location real, we have to do a little bit more than just ask others for doing it. And that's why we finally at some point decided um, to build this company where I'm now CEO of. Well, you know, I uh, live and work in California now. I grew up in England, as you can probably tell. 
but um, here it seems like everyone's changing jobs. Well, I'm in San Diego, so people are changing jobs every two or three years. You up into the Bay Area, it seems like people are changing jobs every year. Uh, you're, um, you've been with uh, Trump for a little bit longer than that. Uh, how? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Is that typical and more typical in Germany? Do people have more stable careers? Uh, I think for on one side it's definitely more typical in Germany. Uh, that's part of it. Yes. Uh, the other thing is that in which company you are and what do you feel what you can do. So let's put it that way. Um, 30 years ago, I left a company which is called IBM. I was also working for IBM long ago. Oh. And at that time, I was in a small subsidiary of IBM nowhere in Germany. And um, whatever you do, there will be n no one recognized it somewhere in the headquarter. Now, this time I'm with Trump, and this is a family-owned business. I'm located in the headquarter, and I'm directly reporting to the owner. So that's one thing which um, makes life easier and that's a combination in which you can really do innovation on a long-term perspective. And the other thing is that uh, I'm reporting to Peter Leibinger. And Peter Leibinger, he get, let's say, let's put it that way, the highest decoration you can get in Germany from government for innovation. Um, and that's because he's really special. So he loves um, to support innovation, although there is uncertainty in it uh, as long as he likes the vision. And uh, that's, for example, why in, in some ways Trump is unique for what we are doing. And let's say to directly report to such a person is, is a, just a wonderful combination to really drive uh, groundbreaking innovations. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. I think all of us are kind of looking to leave our mark. Uh, and you seem to have an incredible opportunity to to do that, you're riding a wave which is changing the world, uh, and you've got the ear of the family that controls the purse strings. You don't have to worry about shareholders, and uh, um, so I, I think you're um, hats off to you. I think you've uh, <laughs> you've managed to engineer uh, uh, a great role. But let's talk a bit more about you on the personal side. Uh, what are the three songs that you selected that you uh, would want to take on this long journey that we're sending you on? Well, it's it's a real nice question. So um, I thought about it and I really came up with three nice songs. So one is uh, Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. So I'm sure very well known for the simple reason that's probably the song I was dancing um, for the most part of my life. Um, always using this song. Um, last, it was just some, some hours ago. Um, the second one is um, oh, really? uh, Wind of Change uh, from Scorpions. I'm not sure if this is well-known um, in US. Uh, Scorpions is a German uh, group. They, they make nice songs in English. And, and Wind of Change is basically a song about um, Perestroika and Glasnost. It's um, very important for when Germany became one company out of the two different companies. And this was... Um, nicely described yeah. in the song Mind of Change. And just at the moment, it looks like we are uh, living in an area where the mind has changed again in the wrong direction, probably. But um, And that's another thing why I like yes. this, this kind of song quite, quite nicely. This was um, written at the end of the First Cold War. And um, the third song is um, something which is totally impossible that you know it. It's a German one. And... Um, so uh, anyway, I try to name it. Um, it's called 
Eins kann mir keiner in der in the, well, Gruppe ist Geier Sturzflug. You're sure you never heard about it. And the reason why I like it, I would put it that way, it's kind of a, a song you would nowadays describe as uh, this is perfectly for uh, resilience. So whenever you have um, a tough task for you and it will not take uh, just enough energy for one day or one week or one month, but you probably need the energy for some years, um, it's the right, just the perfect song to listen to. Uh, and whenever you think about uh, building up a global standard, I can promise you, you will need to have a lot of energy. I can't believe that. I can believe it. Yeah, I've fantasized about these things. You're actually doing it, and uh, I can. Uh, uh, I'm. I'm sure you're right. That's great. Uh, I, I love those choices. Uh, the Scorpions uh, one is really thought provoking, given where we are, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, this uh, world event seems to swing on a pendulum, and we're kind of in a bit of a scary place at the moment. But it's nice to be able to think back to a time when. Uh, things seem to be uh, resolving in a positive direction. Very good. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, this is great. Uh, any key things that you think we should cover to give people kind of the, 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 the 101, the first view of uh, Omlocks? Uh, it's been an eye-opener for me. Uh, um, anything else we should cover before we wrap up? Well, basically, like always, uh, visit the site www.omlocks.com, which is, I think, uh, easy to remember. Mm -hmm. And whenever you have a question, uh, just contact some of the Omlocks members, and there's also a LinkedIn group and all those kind of things. And it's really open, and um, we we'll welcome anyone to join. Wonderful. Well, I'd say I really appreciate your time. It's been fascinating. Trump is... Uh, such a cool company too. I'm glad I now understand a bit more about it. Uh, I, I think Omlox is a standard that's really needed and I, uh, I wish you the, the, the best and we should probably talk offline <laughs> about what, uh, um, what Williot can do. But uh, uh, I think it's good work that you're doing. So well done. Thank you. So that was a lot. Uh, certainly changed my frame of reference. Uh, the way I think about real-time location systems, um, some really interesting ideas on standardization and something that I'm certainly going to be spending more time to, uh, to, to learn about. Um, thank you for giving us your time, for uh, staying through to the end. Uh, you're a part of the elite completer finisher group that does that. Uh, I um, look forward to talking to you again in our uh, next post podcast. As always, please uh, tell your colleagues, anyone you think that could benefit from, uh, from what we do. Uh, and until next time, stay safe. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. 
To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.